You're listening to Better Fishing with Two Bald Biologists, sponsored by the North Carolina Wildlife Resources Commission. I'm Corey Oakley, the Assistant Chief of Fisheries Management for the Inland Fisheries Division. And I'm Ben Ricks, Coastal Region Fisheries Supervisor. We are fisheries biologists who are avid anglers. We want to link the work we do as biologists to your fishing. Our goal in this podcast is to use the information we have as an agency to help you catch more fish and learn about our state's great aquatic natural resources. All right, guys, we are not live, but we are coming to you from the kitchen table of Corey's parents' house. <laughs> Very unique <laughs> podcast location. Never done this before, so, you know, it's who all knows? Right. It works. Yeah. yeah. Thanks to my parents for allowing us to do it. This podcast is sponsored by Corey's parents. That's right. <laughs> A lot of podcasts have probably been sponsored by Corey's parents. Real quick, super thanks to everybody who's been sending us emails. We just did the uh, Raleigh Bass and Saltwater yeah. Fishing Expo, yeah. I think was the technical term. For yeah, that. that was good. A lot of folks had listened to the podcast and reached out to us, and we even gave away some baits. Yeah, we got our baits in from Deep Creek Lures. Deep House baits. That yeah. worked out great. And uh, name of the baits, Curse Breaker. And I know somebody that's caught fish on that bait already. In fact, he's going to be our guest today. Right. Our guest, who has also fished with our baits. Yeah. Which is a good thing. Good time. So, but yeah, the, the Raleigh Expo went well, and we will also be at the uh, Greenville Expo. I think that's called the Mid-Atlantic Hunting and Fishing Expo or something. It's got a, Mid-Atlantic is the title. Yes. In Greenville in March. So, like March 23rd, 24th. It's a great event. Love to see you guys. If you're in the Greenville area, swing on by. Maybe we'll, uh, we'll chat with you a little bit. So... Well, today we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about fishing and we're going to talk about how you shouldn't move fish around. We're going to talk about how fish need water. All the good things. <laughs> we can check all of those off the list real quick. Check our boxes. But we're also going to talk about fishing access in terms of where to go fish and also boating access because that's a big, huge deal, you know? Yeah. We build some of the nicest boat ramps that I've ever seen. So we got Nick Shaver here. Nick, what's your official title? I'm the uh, Coastal Region Supervisor in the Land and Water Access Division for the agency. So Nick has got a, I don't want to say sorted. <laughs> Let's say sorted. Let's That'd say be sorted tail. Sorted tail. His career with the Wildlife Commission, he has worked for every division we have except for finance. <laughs> <laughs> and enforcement. He hasn't been an officer. So, so he has seen and done the things when it comes yeah. to this agency and has a really interesting perspective on this agency. He catches fish across the state. Nick, fill in where I left off as far as that goes. Yeah. So I jokingly tell everybody I've done just about everything the agency does except carry a badge and force the law. But there's still time. I got a few years <laughs> left in my career. We're building a brand new training facility. It, yeah. They may have an old man wing for you <laughs> for the tail end of your career. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's where I'll need to be for sure. Now, I've worked in every region in the state. and uh, I've done everything from being a creel clerk, you know, or sitting at access areas, interviewing anglers about their experience on a fishery and the, the access area itself to worked in the hatchery system where we raised channel catfish for the community fishing program. I was 
before the agency reorganization, I worked for the fisheries development crew where we would do things like build public fishing accesses. We would help our, our biological staff do survey work, and we would install fish attractors and that type of thing. And then after our agency reorganized its technician staff, I started working in the Land and Water Access Division. And we're the group within the agency that manages the game lands, boating access areas, the public fishing areas, and the navigation of buoys on our waterways. So we've got our hands in, in a lot of different pots. So if you're driving down the road and you see a wildlife diamond on the side of the road, that's what you do, essentially. There's a pretty good chance we're involved in right. it in some way, shape, or form. Whether it's a boat ramp, a game land, or whatever it is. Yes. 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 That's correct. And in amongst that, I was also uh, worked in our R3 section, recruiting anglers, uh, new to fishing, and I've been a fisheries biologist. So I could have a little bit of everything. He gets around, guys. He, he has, does. He does. He has seen and done all the things. And, you know, I'm going to brag on him a little bit. He's got a fairly good reputation for doing all of these things. Yeah. So, you <laughs> know, I guess he's just, you know. You the know. whole jack-of-all-trades, master of none. That's not really him. He's a jack-of-all-trades, but he's mastered some of those things. So I right. give him credit for that. I'm not sure which one <laughs> I've mastered. <laughs> I, maybe we need to talk to somebody. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Nick has fished all over the state. You know, that's one of the things we like to tell you guys is, you know, we like to fish too. The decisions that we make as biologists and natural resource managers affect us the same way it affects everybody. So it's good to have Nick on here. But when we're talking about access, you know, what types of fishing access do we have across the state, Nick? So we have a variety of accesses. So it's the easiest way to break them down is in two categories, probably public fishing access areas and boating access areas. And they can be at the same place, but they're two different things. They function two different ways. The a boating access area is essentially designed for the purpose of getting vessels on the water, launching and retrieving vessels and a place to park your vehicle while you're on the water. And a, a public fishing access can range anywhere from a universally accessible fishing pier that people of all abilities can fish from all the way to a gravel parking lot on a riverbank where you can fish from the bank, but you can also slide your canoe or kayak in and fish that river or water body and everything in between, really. A boating access area, like I said, is essentially built for the purpose of launching and retrieving vessels. Right. Well, and yeah, I mean, we have boating access areas, the counties. Core electric companies, not every boat ramp is ours, right? And not every PFA is ours either. That's but, right. But we do have a lot of them. So if you're wondering whose it is, the good news is, is ours are marked because we have to have them marked because of our funding source. So if you're wondering if it's one of ours and you don't see a wildlife diamond, it's probably not one of ours. That's right. Unless you see some broken over posts or something where somebody backed up into, <laughs> into right. one or something like that. So We deal with that, too, pretty regularly. But the converse is not necessarily true. So you could pull up to a place and see a wildlife diamond on a kiosk, and it be owned by one of our good partners. Sure. Uh, but we manage those access areas through a cooperative agreement with that partner. A good example of that is is Duke Energy, like you mentioned, electric yeah. company. What they have access areas all the way from Sutton Lake all the way to way up in the mountains and everywhere in between. They own the property that that access area is owned, 
And many of those places function dually as a public fishing area and a boating access area. But we maintain those sites by cutting the grass, picking up the garbage, making sure the dock boards are screwed down tight, the signs are in place, the parking lot's striped appropriately, or the gravel is graded right if it's a gravel area. Anything that needs day-to-day operations, that's what our work group does. So what is it? I mean, I'm going to pitch in a few things when I get on my soapbox here in a minute, but what is it about? Oh, you're going to get on a soapbox? Well, you did last time, and okay. I guess it's my turn. Uh, that might be true. That's fine. He might do it again. We'll see. It's coming. Don't worry. What about our boat ramps do you think is important for our listeners to hear? I mean, yeah. uh, you drive down the road, you see a boat ramp, you think nothing of it. You're like, hey, yeah, it's a boat ramp. And, you know, I think for the most part, even myself included, I kind of take them for granted, to be honest. But they're a big deal. It takes a lot of planning, a lot of engineering. I would have never thought, and you may get into this, but I would never have thought that you need to have an archaeological, archaeological? Just go with it. You got to look for old stuff. Even before you do site prep or anything like that in most of our sites. So it's kind of crazy. You know, I mean, it could be Indian or Civil War relics, and all of a sudden that's a deciding factor into whether or not you get a boat ramp or not. Like, I would have never even thought that comes into the equation. So there's... There's clearly a lot more to it than, well, we'll just grade the side of the bank here and slap in some concrete and, you know, put up a wildlife diamond and call it a day. Oh, you know? yeah. There's yeah. a lot more to it. There is a lot to it. And it takes a group effort from many divisions within the agency to make those functions. But I think the thing I'm most proud of that I like to tell people is the sort of vastness of the program. We have 250 boating access areas across the state. We have 222 public fishing areas across the state. And those are open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they're free. There's not many states in the nation that that offer that level of access to their water bodies. You can right now go stand at one of our access areas and catch a speckled trout in the ocean or the sound, you know, the Pamico Sound, and drive a few hours and stand at another public fishing area and catch a brook trout wild brook trout, and everything in between. And that's a really point of pride for us in our agency and within our work group. Absolutely right. There is a boat ramp for you wherever you are in North Carolina. So Yeah, and I, you know, the thing that you need to realize as listeners is that those areas are easily identifiable, one, by the signs at the locations, but you can go to our website at ncwildlife.org, look up where to fish. And I think it's not where to boat. I can't, is it where to boat? It is. It is where to boat. You can find it, I think, either yeah, way. Yeah, you can find it either way, and that'll take you to a map, basically, that shows you all the boating access areas across the state that are ours. It'll show you all the public fishing areas that are ours across the state. And so there's more than likely either a boating access area or a public fishing area within, what would you say, 20, 30 miles of probably everybody in the state, except for a few maybe. I would say so. Yeah, I mean, when you say it's vast and broad, we're everywhere in yeah. the state. There's not many places that our diamond's not somewhere providing access for somebody. We're in your backyard. Yeah. Whether you want us or not. <laughs> <laughs> we're watching. <laughs> we're everywhere. <laughs> we're everywhere. Yeah, most folks may not be familiar, though, like you said, yeah. with the nature of those access areas and how spread out they are across the landscape. So. Yeah, yeah. And I really think the PFAs are kind of, I mean, we've built some really nice PFAs, especially in some of the mill ponds 
in my region and central coast where I was before I came over the whole coast, but we have built some really nice floating docks, handicap accessible, you know, and Corey and I have talked about this multiple times. If you don't know where to fish, call up your local biologist or call us up and we will likely send you to one of these places that's nearby. So there's probably, you know, there's a PFA that's within striking distance of wherever you are right now. Yeah. You know, and it ranges from, like Nick was saying, it ranges from so many things. Like if you go up in the mountains, you know, it's stream areas that we have that are just bank opportunities for you to go trout fishing. There's ponds on game lands that provide opportunity for you to go that we stock and manage the fisheries on those game lands. There's other bank fishing opportunities within the Piedmont. There's piers that you guys build on lakes and reservoirs that you can go fish on, you know, that are part of our public fishing access area, all the way down to things that Ben was mentioning on the coast where, you know, it's either bank opportunities or or some other type of opportunity that we provide. And I'm with Nick. I've been fishing in other states. I've been to boating access areas in other states. I would say ours are, in the ones I've visited, ours are in the top five of all the states that are around us. We provide really nice access areas. And some of the ones that we're building now, I'm telling you, the boating access area on Lake Wiley, that South Point boating access area, I don't know if you've been there. That thing is a Taj Mahal. I mean, it is crazy how nice that boating access area is. And that's also, I think, a public fishing access area, too. I think it's attached to that. And it's just nuts how nice they are. And it's like Nick said, right now it's open 24 hours a day. Anybody can go. Obviously, you got to have a fishing license. But anybody can go and access those areas. And, and it's basically free, you know, as long as you pay for a fishing license to fish, which that's a part of what you do anyway. So I just really can't compliment that division more. I think they've done a really, really good job. And that was a focus of the agency when we reorged and all that stuff. I guess going on almost 15 years now was to provide access to the public. You know, that was kind of the core, what we were trying to do when we reorged was get more access on the landscape. And I think we've done a really, really good job of that. Well, I want to make sure that land and water access doesn't take all the credit for our boating access program, because like I said, it is a team effort. And when we identify a site, let's say you go on the map and, and there is a hole in your neighborhood, you know, where there's not an access point close to you, that's a place where we want to be actively working. And so let's say we identify a place where we need an access site, whether it's a boating access area or public fishing area. We have another division within the agency called engineering services or engineering division. And they have a really good team of engineers that are the ones that actually design the site. They draw the drawings for the site. They walk our agency through the permitting process. They look for the, the old buildings and Civil War sites, and et cetera, that, that you have to go through before you build an area. And then they also have construction crews that do an amazing job building these sites. And so once the site is completed, then land and water access takes over the day-to-day operations of that. But also, concomitantly with that, our enforcement division, they patrol these areas and they keep them safe for you and your family to go yeah. use. So it's a real team effort. Oh, yeah. It's agency-wide. It's not just one group. I would agree with that for sure. Yeah. Sure. So one of the things is we also, while we're talking about opportunities, some of these PFAs are also public fishing area. don't want to get too lost in the alphabet soup of all this. But some of the PFAs, public fishing areas, are also CFPs community fishing 
yeah. program lakes. And those are lakes where we stock mostly catfish, but some of them get trout in the wintertime. And so they're even enhanced further through that stocking to give folks a, a place where they can catch fish as well. And that's that's all on our webpage as well. So I didn't want to forget yeah. that in this discussion. The biggest difference between a standard public fishing access area and a community fishing program area is what you said. It's generally managed more intensively by us, whether it's by stocking or by managing the fishery as a whole. Like you said, it, we have a whole hatchery down at McKinney Lake that provides the channel catfish. Well, it's all, actually, it's Table Rock Hatchery in the mountains, McKinney Lake in the Piedmont, and then uh, Watha Fish Hatchery down in the coastal plain that provide catfish for all of these sites. There's 67 of them, I think, is the right number off the top of my head. And the initial purpose of that program back when it first started back in the early 90s was to provide fishing opportunities for folks that maybe couldn't travel long distances to go fishing, didn't have that opportunity for that access close to them. And so you'll see a lot of these places in urban areas. There'll be a lot, there's a lot in Raleigh, there's a lot in Greensboro, there's quite a few down towards Charlotte. But if you look at, once again, if you go where to fish, you'll find these community fishing program sites on that map. And there's actually quite a few. There's not as many in the coastal plain, but in the Piedmont region and in the mountain region, there are actually quite a few. And there's probably one within 30 minutes of where you live in those two regions of the state. The coastal plain's a little different. There's not as many standing bodies of water. There's a lot there's more rivers. There's more PFAs. Yeah, there's more PFAs in the coastal region. But the one in Kinston that's right next to the news. It's absolutely popular. It's super popular. Yeah. I mean, they are popular places, particularly when we bring mountain trout in the wintertime. It's gangbusters. I mean, people are waiting on the truck to show up. They're there uh, waiting for those trout to be dumped. It's actually a little comical to watch. But anyway, it's, it's kind of fun. <laughs> you know, it's a big event for them when it comes to that community. Because for a lot of these places, I mean, we bring mountain trout as far east as Tarbur in the wintertime. And for a lot of folks that live in Tarbur, they either don't have the means or the time or whatever to make it to the mountains to go mountain trout fishing. So it's a great opportunity for our anglers. And so that's another form of access that we provide for our anglers and has been super popular for sure. Those community fishing program lakes are really, really good places to start if you want to learn how to fish. Yeah. Which is what we talked about on the podcast in January. Yeah, go back one episode. The one we, yeah, go back one episode. We talked about how to start fishing, and that was one of the things we talked about is, you know, stay local. Yeah. And those places are great to take kids. Well, not even kids, but if you've never fished before, it's a great place because your chances of running into a fish are pretty stinking high. Yeah, pretty good. During the stocking season, which is the warmer months, which is when you want to be out fishing. Well, we fish year-round, but you know what I mean. <laughs> That's when most people want to be out fishing. I would like to be out fishing during the months. Yeah, during the months. Yeah. This morning would have been a little tough. It, a little was six, it was 16 at my house, so it was a little, a little chilly this morning. It had been tough on the boat this morning, mm-hmm. but anyway. So we've talked about how these are programs that are free. doesn't cost you, but it does cost us to make them. You know, these are nice, and boat ramps don't grow on trees, right, Nick? So That's right. Where do we get this funding to do this? I think that would be important for our listeners to understand that a little bit. Yeah, that's a good question. So both the public fishing areas and the boating access areas are paid for with what's called sport fish restoration dollars. Uh, have you guys talked about that grant source? Not a whole in the lot. Path? Maybe a little bit, but not not super in-depth. Not in-depth. So that's the beautiful thing about the 
North American model of conservation. It's a user pay system. So when you go to a tackle shop and you buy a rod or a reel or some line or a pack of hooks, a portion of what you pay for that goes into this pot of money that is then distributed to the states to provide you access. That is the Sport Fish Restoration Grant. It also helps pay for hatcheries and research and other things, but a part of that goes to providing the public access. So that's one way. It's mandated. Yeah. Yeah, it's mandated in the funding that you have to provide access through those funds or it gets revoked, Mm -hmm. you know, so it is mandated. And that that legislation was federal. It's federal legislation, and it was enacted in 53? I believe that's right. Yeah. Yeah. The Dingle Johnson Act. Yeah, Yeah. Dingle Johnson Act. Yeah, so that's a major funding source for us, and that's how we do most of our day-to-day operation. On the boating access side, whenever you register your motorboat, that vessel registration, part of that money goes into that pot, too, that we maintain and build access areas. And another part of the, our funding pot is derived from a very small percentage of the uh, gasoline sales tax that we all pay when we very get a small percentage. <laughs> it, it is a percentage of 1%. <laughs> yeah, it's a small percentage. That's right. Yeah, but that, that's based on a, a formula that assumes a certain amount of gasoline is burned through a boat motor versus a, a vehicle motor. So those are the three major funding sources that we provide access under. Yeah, so as we hear this all the time, I'm glad to see my tax money at work. It's not necessarily your tax money directly. It's your rattle trap money. It's a little bit of your boat gas money. It's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But it's, That's right. it's a different, nothing that you're paying the government directly. But Not your income taxes. A portion of my, my fluke budget could be significant. (laughs) (laughs) A portion of my fluke budget is going to help build boat ramps. That's exactly right. So the next time you buy a a Dobbins rod or a Shakespeare rod, whatever your your flavor of choice is, know that part of that money is going back into the program to provide you a place to fish. And I'll go out there and I'll lose more flukes. I don't have to buy more flukes. It's, It's a great system. It's a beautiful system. Hopefully, I'll catch a fish or two in that whole process. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully you get some return on your investment. Not to go too far down this road, because I don't want to bore everybody with it, but we get a lot of times that, one, why do you require a fishing license? You know, why do we have a license to do something kind of thing? Well, the way that model works is, it's great that it's a payer system, in my opinion. Like, you're buying something to go have fun fishing, but it also pays back into the system for access and for the work that we do, the stockings that we do and all that, the hatcheries, all the things you mentioned. But if you don't have license holders, you don't get any of that money. Like, and the license dollars go to that as well. It goes to the boating access areas. It goes to the fishing access areas. It goes to basically all the work that we do. Like, you know, if you go out and buy a fishing license and I don't even know, I'm a lifetime license holder, so I don't even know the cost right off the top of my head. I think it's 30 bucks for a fishing license in our state. All of that goes back into the resource that you are utilizing, you know, and if we didn't have those license holders, we would not, because it's based on the number of license holders each state has as the money that we get back from the federal government. So going down a bit of a rabbit trail, I hear that a lot. I hear, well, why, you know, it's a public resource. We shouldn't have license holders, which I could go down that road for days on end and talk about it. We all know why, but you know, if we didn't have that, we wouldn't get that money. The greatest thing about it is everything that I'm buying and doing, 
goes back into the resource. And I'm having fun using the resource. So I'm good with that. Like it doesn't bother me. I'm sure it bothers some, but it does not bother me that there's a minute tax, you know, that's in baits or in rods or wherever. Cause I know that that's going to go back to the resource. And that's what I like about it. Yeah. Another cool fact about that system is that every dollar you spend buying a license is essentially turned into $4. That's right. With that federal program. Yeah. So it's a three to one. Match. It's a way we can leverage the state money that we do have, which is not a tremendous amount of state money, but it's state money. Yeah, you're right. We can leverage it for yeah one out of one to four. So it's a great thing. All right. So along those lines, you know, we get that question all Sorry, the time. Sorry, nerded from out. No, I'm I'm going to tag onto your nerdiness. One of the best things you can do if you're interested in conservation in North Carolina is to buy a hunting and fishing license. You know, yep. I mean, it's nominal investment, but you'd be amazed how far it goes so you know that's if you're not doing anything else but you're interested in conservation across the state just buy your hunting fishing license you know and that will help help the resources that we have in this state absolutely so, and on the other side of the house there's a similar program for wildlife that's right yeah that we manage yeah. the game lands with so we make wildlife habitat you know with that same money so like you said if you're interested in investing in conservation a simple way to do that is to buy a hunting or fishing license, even if you don't hunt or fish. Right. And it goes, it goes a long way. Cause we've, we make it go a long way. We've, yes. we have, <laughs> we stretch it thin. <laughs> we've bought some really awesome properties. We've built some really awesome boat ramps, you know, that we wouldn't have been able to do any other way. So it's a, it's a good program. It's a good system and it's producing results. All you got to do is, is, Look at the where to hunt and where to fish and where to boat maps, and you'll see where your money's going. Yeah. So. yeah, and I don't, you know, you might be able to speak to this a little more, Nick, but we're talking about building access and, and the engineers coming in and designing and all that and the costs that go with all that. But when you go back to the very beginning, you got to buy the land. Unless you're partnering with a municipality or partnering with like Duke Energy or, or someone else, you got to buy the land. And in case everybody hadn't paid attention, Land's expensive these days in the state of North Carolina. They're not giving it away anymore. Land is Not that very they ever expensive. were, but they're really not giving it away now. And like, for instance, if we provide a boating access area on a barrier island, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, yes. we're going to go to a barrier island, we're going to provide a boating, which we do and have and will. When we go to do that, you know what the price of land is on a barrier island. It is not cheap. And so they're literally not making any more of it there <laughs> and we're losing it. <laughs> and we're losing it. But, but that's my point is it starts at the very beginning. You got to identify the land. You got to purchase the land more than likely to provide that access. So it is not a cheap thing to do. And if you've been to some of our boating access areas that are especially near municipalities these days, they're quite large. And they're all waterfront. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. There is no boat ramps that are not on the water. <laughs> that's the hang-up. Man, that's, some, that's up on dry ground. I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> but, no, and that's one of the trickiest things. We may have an area that we'd love to put a boat that's ramp right. in, and we just can't find a place to do it. So, we spend a lot of time working to find those possibilities where they exist, you know. So that is one of the other hats that our group wears is the land acquisition hat. Yeah. yeah. Looking for land, looking what makes sense, looking how it relates to other places, you know, how close are we to other boating access areas? You know, those yeah. are all things that we have to 
think about as an agency as we're providing this access. So it's very complicated. It doesn't sound complicated, but it is complicated. <laughs> sure. Well, you went back, you said at the very beginning, is it just slapping some concrete or pouring some gravel out on the ground? It's not even anywhere close to that. You know, it, it does take quite a bit to get an access area in place. Oh, yeah. We'll get emails from folks saying, what are the resources here? How far is it from another boat ramp? You know, I mean, all of this stuff is vetted at multiple levels before they even even think about making a purchase or moving a dozer around to to do some site prep. So it's probably, if it moves fast, it's still several years to build a boat ramp. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And some of them are longer than that, depending on where they're at and and the work that needs to be done. Yeah, they certainly can be. Yeah. So... Nick, what else you got for us? What do you, what is there anything that's you've been dying to say or anything you're like, I need to say this while I'm on this podcast? Or we've, don't you talk about me? We've known each other a long time now. Ain't the time, Nick. Nick <laughs> has known Corey for a handful of years. We've, I've known Corey my whole career, I'd say. Yeah. For sure. The beginning. So, yeah, I think the thing I want to say is, you know, you were talking about stretching your dollars out that our group, the Land and Water Access Division really excels at making your dollar go as far as they can. And we do not fit the typical tropes of the state employee. And I'll, I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. Our folks, just in my region, we have 122 voting access areas. We have 23 PFAs and we have 44 game lands. We have 35 full-time staff. So how many acres is that, Nick? <laughs> You don't know off the top of your head. It's a lot. Yeah. Uh, thousands. Yeah. It's oh, yeah. Thousands. It's hundreds of it's thousands. hundreds of yeah. thousands of acres. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. the Croatan alone is as big as some counties. Yeah. So imagine like, you know, we're at over one game land per person. So, and almost two boating access areas per person. So, you know, if you're employee X, you know, you got the Croatan National Forest <laughs> and two boating to keep up with. So. We work really hard to make these places as good as they possibly can and, yeah. to, and to stretch your dollar as far as they can go. And I'm really proud of my team for the work that they get done yeah, all across the state. I think most folks would be surprised to learn that. Yeah. How many navigational buoys is your group over? There's 1,400 total. And, Jeez. Yeah. And most of them are in the coast. <laughs> yeah, right many are in the coast. I mean, that might not be fair. Someone might call me out is on it. Is that statewide or is that just the coast? 1,400 statewide. Oh, okay. I thought it would yeah. have been just the coast. It's still a lot. There's a lot more in the coast than anywhere else. We'll put it that way. Yes. Yeah, we have the majority of the water, and so therefore the majority of the navigational buoy. Mm-hmm. And I would say, you know, public service announcement like if you see something wrong if something's if something's wrong contact either your local biologist or contact we'll give you nick's number if you email us yeah and absolutely. contact nick and nick will go out and handle it or if you it's know, against the nick's law group will go out and handle it yeah if something's against law call law enforcement yeah because things happen at boat ramps and pfas as we all well know but i'm talking about something's broke down like you know the sign's missing or something like that you might not be aware of it yet or navigational buoys gone, you know, after exactly. a big storm or something like that. That's what I'm talking about. Like if you go out and that navigational buoy is normally there and it's missing, well, we might not know because it might have just happened. So, you know, pick up the phone or email us or whatever and let us know and we'll get to it as soon as we can. Yeah, absolutely. I know after our last big hurricane, I mean, the navigational buoys were bad. They were all out in the ocean. <laughs> the boat ramps had damage. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, 
and Nick and his crew were out there and they got the boat ramps back to normal fast and they got the buoys back in place fast. And it's, you know, it takes, it just takes, takes a time. lot of people yeah. and a lot of time to get that right. But they're, they're working really hard to get it back to normal as soon as possible. It's a daunting task, especially when something like that happens. It's cataclysmic to a big area. So yeah, I, if, even after all these years, I still shiver when we got big events coming oh, yeah. down. <laughs> I think everybody does a little bit because I know what the potential for those. The are. biologist does too, because we, you know, all the fish laying on the side of <laughs> I forty or I ninety five or wherever that was. The last hurricane come through. So oh yeah, things happen. Yeah. So, do we want to talk a little bit about, I mean, this is our chance, right, to talk about boat ramp etiquette, since oh, that, we're talking about boat ramps? That's not where I thought you were going. I thought we were going to talk about Nick, but that's okay. Let's talk about Nick. Let's talk about Nick and see, see if we have time for etiquette. <laughs> no. I'm Nick just may kidding. sponge it up after oh, good this. Grief. No, let's talk about boat ramp etiquette. Okay. <laughs> Nick enjoys long walks on the beach. I do. Yeah. Okay, boat ramps. Boat that's ramp. where we're going. Okay. So, a little bit of a soapbox for all of us. But before we even get to that, Nick's crew, the land and water access crew, let's be official. It's not not just just Nick's people. Not just the coastal region. But the division that takes care of our boat ramps does an excellent job. I mean, they are on the road. I live near one of the depots. I see the trucks coming and going all the time. They're mowing grass. They're picking up trash. They're doing this. They're doing that. I mean, it's, they're fixing the docks as regular as possible. It is a full-time, the most of the time it was what they do in the summer, but they do it all year long. And if you go to one of our boat ramps, there's not a whole lot of trash. There's not a whole lot of litter in, in large part because these guys are coming behind everybody and picking it up. So the first thing I'd say is pick up your trash, people. Keep your trash in your truck and in your yeah. boat. It's also... It doesn't belong at a boat ramp. You can run the risk of getting a littering violation if you... You do it too much. Yeah. So, you know, you can get the blue light special, but really just clean up after yourself. Just be a human being. It doesn't matter if you're a at a boat ramp or sitting at a table in Corey's parents' house. Clean up after yourself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's true. It's true. My mama walks in right now. She's going to be like, clean up. Let's do it. <laughs> but really, in terms of boat ramp etiquette, especially in the springtime, our boat ramps get a lot of pressure. You know, crappy guys, bass guys, striper guys, shad guys, you know, everybody's going in a million different directions. It's great. It's awesome why they're here. It's what we built them for was for heavy use. Yes, sir. But to speed things up, it's best if you have your boat ready. You know, don't block the ramp. When you come back, have everything picked up. Don't block the ramp. The ramp itself is not the place to prep your boat. Yeah. In a lot of our places, they, there is a make-ready lane and a tie-down lane mm-hmm. that's delineated. Not every access area has that, but make use of that make-ready lane and know your own ability. Know how familiar you are with your vessel when you pull in. If you launch your boat two or three times a week, there's a pretty good chance you can get that thing in the water in about a minute. But If you're doing it once a year. Yeah, don't do that yeah. on the ramp. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so just make sure everything's good to go before you start backing down the ramp. That's maybe, I was going to make one suggestion about boat ramp etiquette. The other thing I'd say is those that aren't using the boat ramp, as we see this a lot, people that are just traveling around, hey, if you're listening and you don't fish, but you like to go to the boat ramp and watch, don't block the boat ramp. 
don't put your car right like sideways across the boat ramp to block boats because that happens a lot. You'll see people pull in and that's fine. I mean, they're there for you to look at the water. That ain't no big deal. But park your car in a spot, get out, go look at the water, come back. Don't block the boat ramp with your car. We see that a lot at welding. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why I'm pointing it out. Well, I mean, it's one of the busiest boat ramps in the spring and people from the community just want to see what's going on, which that's fine, but it's a huge parking lot. You know, park your car, walk down through the water. They got places for you to look at things, but don't block the boat ramp with your car and just sit there. And that happens a lot. It's all really all about just being yeah. aware of what's going yeah, on and right. not, you wouldn't want somebody to hold you up. And so in kind, try not to hold anybody else up. My other, I guess, public service announcement for boat ramps is be safe. Absolutely. Like, a lot of bad things happen at boat ramps. People get in a hurry. Yeah. And don't take their, I mean, I've seen trucks completely underwater because they didn't put their parking brake on and they didn't put it in park because they were in a hurry. They were trying to rush through and just take your time, be steady, be safe. We get that you want to go fast, but if you put your truck in the water, that will slow things down significantly. (laughs) Significantly. (laughs) I mean, it's it's also a good place to wear your PFA because that's, Typically where you're stepping from boat to dock or stepping out on a trailer or something like that. And I mean, it takes one misstep and then you're in the water. And this time of year, if you're in the water, you're in trouble. It's cold. You know, it's cold. So just be safe. And I see a lot of people do a lot of things at boat ramps. I'm just like, my word, what's going on here? You know, there's a lot of accidents that happen at boat ramps that are needless because we're either in a rush or we just didn't think about safety when we started. That's my point. Absolutely. Be safe. Yeah. What else we need to talk about today? We've talked about boat ramps. We've talked about etiquette. One other thing on etiquette. When you decide it's time to head back to the ramp, pack everything up there. Like That'd be nice. If you're in Cove X. I mean, unless there's the like bend, weather coming or something. Yeah, go ahead. While you can take all the time you need, pack up whatever you can out there on the water. So that yeah. way when you get to the ramp, you're all business on the trailer. You know? Yeah. You're not putting your rods up. You're not, you know, all that stuff. Because, I mean, you can block a boat ramp from the boat by just sitting there at the dock, you know, putting all your stuff up and your boat's sitting right beside yeah, I mean, the boat ramp. Some of these so, boat I mean, ramps are one lane at, and at the back of a little bitty canal yeah. and, and that kind of thing. So they're kind of one way in, one way out, you know, yeah. pretty tight. Now, other boat ramps got a lot more space. So it really just depends. But the other one that I would add to that is if it's a, a paved, Boating access area with striped lines, parking spaces. If you're in your car with no boat trailer, park in the short parking spots. The yes. long parking spots are designed for vehicles with trailers. And a lot of them now have that sign that says no trailer park. What is the sign that says single car use or something like Single car or trailered vehicle. Yeah, yeah. They have the signs demarcating each parking spot. So, yeah, yeah, please do that as well because it's it's hard to park a truck and a trailer in a single car parking spot that doesn't have space. <laughs> and remember, if you're at an access area that does not have lines and you're the first person there, you set the pace you for set, how everybody you parks the, t- yeah, the rest you of the, the day. Tone. If, you, if you park like a jerk, everybody's going to have to park like <laughs> a jerk. be a trendsetter. <laughs> That's a lot of responsibility on the first it's person there. It's all on you. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, if it's a gravel parking lot, it's all on you to get it right. (laughs) No pressure. Yeah, no pressure. None at all. So I can tell you right now, we're going to get a lot of emails about 
boat ramps and PFAs and things that need to be done and things that should be done and things that might be done or things they'd like to see. And I'd like this boat ramp here. Right. Yeah. And so what I'll say is that's fine. Send us the email. We'll put it together and send it to the right people. And maybe it'll line up with, with some of the things that are already on the list and maybe it won't, but we will be happy to pass that on that information on to the, to Nick and, and the other guys who are over this. And you may be surprised to find out that, you know, there already are plans. That's right. I'll also say on the other end of that spectrum, I have no idea because I'm not in the boating access area world. I know there's a list for installing boating access areas across the state. So there's already a list that we keep. So, you know, we might add to that list. If you come up with a great one, we'd be excited about that. But as far as public fishing access areas, I mean, it's in the hundreds of public fishing access areas that we have in the docket to provide when we get the money. And they move around on that list. Some get more important over time or something like that. And some go away because people decide, the municipality or whatever that we were cooperating with decide they don't want to do it. But it's in the hundreds of potential public fishing access areas that we have. So it's not like we're not looking for them. We have a whole group that that's what they're doing. That's part of what your your guys are doing is looking for places to, you mentioned that earlier, looking for places. But yeah, yeah send them on. I may just synthesize that all yeah. and then send it to Nick. Yeah, and, um, we'll just send the book to Nick when we get it. You know, just be like, here it is, Nick. This is what the people want. Provide the people what they want, Absolutely. <laughs> Which you like doing. I mean, I that's, do. I you, do. you I love take... that. I mean, I've known you for 20 years. Whether it's been us talking about fish or whether it's been us talking about access or whatever it might be, you have a passion for providing the public what they want and what they need whether that's you working as a fish biologist or whether we go back 20 years ago to when we were when you were working on the CFP stuff and working at the hatchery and all that, that's been your passion all along, or as long as I've known you anyway. Yeah. Yeah. He's a good dude. I've known him for 20 years, <laughs> 20, 20 plus years now. Yeah, we on. have stomped in streams together. We have sweated our butts off together. My butt's still there. Yeah, we've done a lot of different things for sure. Well, I can say, because I work with Nick as well, not as long as you guys have, but he definitely has the resource and the anglers and the hunters at the heart, you know, and that's when he's trying to do something, he's come up with some out-of-the-box things, you know, and probably still will that have worked well. So, you know, I know a lot of times, if especially when you're frustrated, you're like, "Ah, nobody's really thinking about what I need. And Nick is. Nick probably has in some shape or form, you know, depending on the issue. So and. Since I'm in the position I'm in now in Raleigh, I've got to know a lot of the people that work with Nick, work around Nick, some of his staff that works in the coastal plain with Nick. Most of his employees have that same mindset about trying, trying to provide that access for the public. That's their passion. That's why they got into what they're doing. You know, whether it's guys are, you know, lighting a fire on a game land to provide habitat for wildlife or whether it's working on boating access areas or public fishing areas. Wherever you might be, I can tell you that that group of individuals, they have a real passion for providing access and providing opportunity, whether it's somebody that looks like me, somebody that doesn't look like me. Thank God there's people that don't look like Corey. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank God. You're right. Because <laughs> we all, woof, be a rough world. But you know what I mean? It's amazing the different opportunities that our agency is providing, and your folks are leading that. And so I'm appreciative for that for sure. I'm super proud of our group. Yeah. 
You should the, be. The men and women that work in it are, yeah. are filled with passion. And, and they treat the land like it's their own property. You yeah. know, they, they treat it like it's theirs. They care about it. They want it to be good. Somebody shoots a big deer, catches a big fish. They're as happy about it as anybody. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. One of my favorite things is to see a big fish or a, or a big deer or a big bear that, that came off of public lands or a public access area. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole game. Absolutely. Know. So is it time for questions? It seems like it. Okay. It seems like it. So before we get there, you, know, you guys send your questions in. We've got a little bit of swag. Yeah, we now have we now have a shirt, the curse breaker, curse breaker bait, and decals. So, just so you guys know, it's not why he's on the podcast, but Nick, that's official yeah. first catch of a fish on the curse breaker. Yeah. So when we say Nick fishes, Nick fishes, <laughs> <laughs> Nick fishes more than me. He doesn't maybe not fish more than Ben, but they're in a close neck, neck and neck, neck race. It depends on the week. <laughs> yeah, it does uh, depend on the week. Yeah, I think we gave Nick a pack of those baits, and within 24 hours, within 24 hours, he shot us a picture of a he fish. He shot a picture with the old curse breaker hanging out of the mouth. Yeah, so, it works. <laughs> it works in the hands of the right person. Congrats to us. It, it can works. work. So we've got the curse breaker. We've got some shirts. Who would have thought a fluke would work? I would have thought a fluke would work. Yeah, well, that's true. We've talked about that. <laughs> Flukes work. <laughs> it is a little loud. You know, if you're crystal clear, gin clear water, it may not be the bait, but we'll work on that for next year. Maybe we'll make one of, you know, yeah. curse breaker 2.0 that's yeah. clear water. That's right. Unless you're chasing Alabama bass or smallmouth. And then they'll chase it down in they a minute. smoke it. They love high-vis for yes. sure. Yeah. So, if it's flashy, they like it. So between that today and the last time we drew a name for the prize pack, we've drawn another name. Okay, so as you guys know, we got some swag. And uh, we've got a winner for this week. The people who have emailed us since the last recording, we've thrown all their names in a hat and selected Jacob. Prestopino. That's pretty I good. I may be butchering that. That's all right. I think you're close. But I emailed him, and I need your T-shirt size and your address, so if you want us to send you some swag. That's right. So if you have a question. Send it to us. You can send it to us. Two bald biologists at ncwildlife.org. That's right. And if we pick your name, you might get some swag out of the deal. If you want a decal, we'll send you a decal no matter what. Yeah. So I mean, if you don't want our shirt, that's fine. You can tell us that. It'll hurt my feelings, but that's okay. Well, while supplies last, too. You know, we only got so many shirts here. That's true. But Jacob's getting one. He's definitely on the list. Well, good for him. So we're going to talk about questions because Nick said something about wanting to talk about fish. (laughs) Maybe we'll try that at the end. That'll work. So maybe these questions will help us get into some fish and fishing. And then... Then when we're done, we'll just open it up for his own personal fishing soapbox. Oh, wow. We're going to open the floor to him? That's That's dangerous. That's right. Remember that outside-the-box thing you talked about? We could be outside-the-box quick. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Just throwing it out there. So, Mr. Mast, he emailed us, and he had a question about locating bait fish. And he said, what are the tricks and tips about finding bait fish, and what's the best way to go about finding bait? And, you know, do you just throw a cast net and see what you drag up? Like, Nick, what do you think are some of the best ways to locate bait when you're fishing? Uh, if you have a sonar, that is probably the best way. They show up on a sonar pretty well. 
if you don't have a sonar, look for nature's clues. Look for birds. Birds show you bait a lot of times. Little wading birds, you know, great blue herons, even like little blackbirds. Had a guy tell me one time we were fishing a reservoir in South Carolina. He said, you know, the shad spawn is on when the little blackbirds are right on the shoreline, like right where the water meets the rocks. And sure enough, that bore out to be true. A lot of times you can see a bait fish, you know, just flick. And one little flick will clue you into a whole school of bait fish. So, yeah, little dimples on the water, those kinds of things. I remember one time specifically I was catching bait, and there was a hard day of, of trying to find bait. And I saw a coomerant dive down, and we came up. He had a bait fish in his mouth. I drove the trolling motor right to where that coomerant went down and threw the cast at. And lo and behold, there was my striper bait for the yep. day. Loons. So, Loons will show you bait in a heartbeat. It's really important, and Nick said it. Like, yes, if you have good electronics, mm-hmm. you can see bait. You can see bait either directly under you, on your side scan, what have you. But if you don't have a whole lot of electronics, you're not out of luck. You know, you can look for that activity of that bait. And a lot of times, really, surface activity of bait is even better than seeing it on your electronics because normally if it's on the surface, there's a predatory fish pushing it up there. And the other thing I would say, it's easier to see it than it is to catch it. Like, you better know how to throw a cast net. I mean, the way, and I don't throw a cast net perfect, but the way I did it was I got out in the yard and just kept throwing a cast net, kept throwing a cast net. Somebody was telling me what to do, and Nick knows who that somebody was telling me what to do. (laughs) But that's how I learned. But these fish are pretty spooky. They can see well. They can see your net when it's coming. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot that goes into catching bait with a cast net versus just seeing bait on the sonar. Absolutely. <laughs> I, was like, I must have said something profound. Y'all went silent on me. We did go silent. I was just thinking about you out there throwing the cast net and in the yard. Your pancake to banana ratio. Oh, my banana ratio was high, <laughs> million to one. <laughs> yeah. Those of you, a pancake is a perfect circle with the cast net. Yeah. Anything less than that is a banana. And the closer you get to something that looks... Sometimes there's a taco. Real banana <laughs> the less likely you are to catch a bait fish. For yeah. sure. When you throw a taco, just reel it back in. Yeah. There's no point in letting it go. Yep. And so. if your banana ratio gets just way too unmanageable, you can just go to the woodpile, dig up a good old-fashioned worm, <laughs> yeah, chase a cricket down. That's right. That's right. That is there also a bait. That yeah. is. That's right. There it is. For sure. Shovels work, too. Absolutely. You can use that shovel to bury your cast net if you get too broke. <laughs> That's exactly right. There have been days I have thought about that. So, Mr. Blaylock, he had a question about pay lakes, which is always an interesting subject. Mm. He says, how is it legal for pay lakes to put fish in them, especially when they get the fish from a different state or take the fish to another state? And isn't that some sort of violation? Wow. That's a it depends on the lake and it depends most of the pay lakes are private waters. So they don't have to have necessarily a stocking permit. Yeah. I mean if it's a private body of water, you can uh, short of fish that are listed in our digest that are illegal to possess in the state of North Carolina because they're so damaging. But most of the pay lakes are catfish and or carp. Yeah. And so those are not on that list. So you can stock private bodies of water with those fish. You can bring them from outside. I mean, we talk about moving fish all the time and how that's not a great idea. 
It's the one time that you can. It still may not be it a great idea. It still may not be a great idea, but I mean, it's on private land, so we can't we can't regulate that. And they're often not that big. I mean, they're not that big. Most of them aren't that big of a no. lake. So. No, but it has to be a private body of water. I mean, that's the key, and so that's why those pay lakes can operate that way. And yeah, I mean, there's nothing against you know you going out and catching blue cats and flatheads and carp are generally what's in these pay lakes. But there's nothing against you going out and catching a blue cat at say somewhere on the Yadkin PD and taking it to you know that private body of water and releasing it. That's very legal. So that's just how it is in the state of North Carolina. Whether you like it or don't like it, it's how it is. I don't know if we answered that very well, but that's... It's not a violation if no, they're doing not, it right. it's not a violation if they're doing it right. I think that's, that's the answer yeah. to that question, yeah. is you have to make sure they're doing it right. And these places are inspected and yeah. evaluated. And- but I would say that, you know, moving fish around, we've talked about that on the podcast multiple times, how that can be very dangerous. Bringing something from one body of water to another body of water when you don't know where it's been, at least in terms of things that hitchhike on those things. You know, you can bring in an organism that you don't even see into your lake. So they are somewhat living a dangerous game by doing that, for sure. So we actually talked to the next guy at the expo. Oh, good. So I'd already picked his question. So his question, Mr. Holt, calls himself the slab misser because he says he's a good bass fisherman, but he says he's, he's frustrated with the crappies. And uh, he didn't ask about crappy, like tips, but maybe we'll say use a straight tail because that seems to always work. (laughs) He had a question about his leftover minnow bucket and what he should do with those minnows. I remember him now. Yeah. When he's done fishing, you know, he bought them. They're in the the bucket. He's done fishing. He's got three dozen minnows left over. What does he need to do with those? He's throw them in the woods. Does not need to dump them back in that body. It's actually illegal. There's a rule against that. You should not dump your bait fish back into the body of water if you've bought them or purchased them or brought them from somewhere else. Now, if you collected those fish, like say you're out at Lake Norman and you collect alewife and you put those alewife back, that's not illegal, so to speak, because they're from that body of water, but you got to be able to prove that, which might be difficult. And the reason, well, the other than it's illegal. It goes back to what we just don't answered. Don't do illegal stuff. Is you could bring stuff in. You could bring those fish aren't native more than likely they were brought here most of the bait fish were brought here from arkansas out of hatcheries out of arkansas and there's a lot of things going on in the midwest if you hadn't paid attention to carps that are in the midwest that are causing lots of damage and when they're little like these fish are little they're hard to tell the difference between for sure there's a lot of things about moving fish around that are just dangerous so that can cause a lot of problems all right so we've handled our questions Nick wants to talk a little bit about fishing for a minute. Yeah. Um, we got time Thank to goodness. talk about fishing? Yeah, we got a few. It minutes. is a fishing podcast, right? It is a fishing podcast. Okay. It can't be all business all Nick, the time. You go to one of our fine boat ramps. You launch your boat, and you go fishing. Well, you're allowed one bait. What's it going to be? Uh, it is going to be a 3-8 ounce War Eagle spinnerbait, mm. double willow. With a blue pearl shed skirt. And I'll drop a little tidbit, go a little further. I mean, you're tidbitting it up as it is. It's not just any three-eighths or eagle double wheel blue pearl shad spinnerbait. Do not buy the one at your local big box store. Go to the your local tackle shop. And the difference will be a hand-tied skirt 
versus a slip-on skirt sure. on that spinnerbait. And the one with the hand-tied skirt is the deal. I would agree. A lot of my spinnerbaits are tied on with various strings or dental floss or something because yep. the slip-on skirts just don't last. No, that is the lure I have tied on 12 months a year when I go bass fishing. I've caught fish in 39-degree water and 92-degree water and everything in between. Mm-hmm. That's not a bad call. I don't know that anyone's ever said spinnerbait to that no, question. No, that's the first. So, but it's a good choice. It's a good choice, yeah. And you can catch striped bass on it, white bass on it. I've even caught large crappie on it, catfish, bowfin. Lots of things lead to spinnerbait. That's the truth. Redfish. They flounders. Flounder, yeah. Lots of things. Bowfin will take a spinnerbait and... Make it unusable. Turn it into a figure eight. They will untie your hand-tied skirt. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. Those fish are strong. They will do a number to a spinnerbait for sure. Yeah, they're mean. One place in North Carolina, where would you want to go? Don't give a honey hole up. Just one place that you love. You don't have to say third stump on the left. No, no. But. No, no, no. A general area. Uh, General area would be High Rock Lake. (laughs) That's fair enough. That's my favorite bass fishery right now. Gotcha. Uh, and, you know, where I live, you know, I do a lot of inshore fishing. So sure. I'm, I'm a long way from High Rock Lake now, but that's hands down. That was favorite. your bread and butter for a long time, though. Oh, yeah. 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 I like that place a lot. I sent Nick uh, tips and tricks of the day for about two months. And then he told you to get lost. I didn't realize what all I gave him until he started <laughs> putting it to work. So <laughs> <laughs> I need to go back in my text and read them again myself. Well, I'll tell this next story, and then we'll probably be done, but we as a group of biologists that know each other and known each other for a long time, we have an annual fall speckled trout fishing trip <laughs> in North Carolina. We generally are in the lower Noose, lower Pamlico Rivers, because that's where I'm from, and I invited Nick, and, and there's another guy who will probably be on the podcast at some point. His name is Rick, who runs McKinney Lake Fish Hatchery, and I invited Nick and Rick, because they fish together all the time are good friends i said come on down we're gonna trout fish and they're like yep that's cool and of course i grew up trout fishing and so when they came and they're great fishermen i mean they're a whole lot better than i am when they came we were trout fishing and i'd catch one and i'd call them over and they'd sit and they'd watch me it's probably 20 or 30 and they weren't catching anything zero (laughs) nothing and this went on for a couple of days and, and it felt like years. And Nick, <laughs> and Nick had to go do something for the Wildlife Commission. This is the very first trip. I'll never forget it. Nick's like, I got to go. He's like, I can't stand being here anymore watching you catch fish. Well, that trip started with... You bring anything pink. De- I know. Detail-oriented, <laughs> you know, Nick, you know, that's three-eighths ounce, hand-tied skirt, you know, double willet. And I'm like, what do I need to catch them? And, of course, is anything pink. So, like a Sharpie? Yeah, <laughs> like like some construction paper. Symbols. What, what are we talking about? Pink trick worms. What? I don't know what these things bite. I've never well, fished the, for them. In the North funny Carolina. part about that was he brought something pink, and I had fished a week before, and they weren't hitting pink, and so I'd never fished with anything pink. He was remember so what mad I told at you? Strike that. Yeah, he was so mad at me. But the re- reason I tell this story is it didn't take long. By the next year. Them two fools were out fishing me by a quarter mile. So they were the ones catching all the trout. And I was sitting there going, 
how y'all doing it again? <laughs> <laughs> so it does not take Nick long to pick up on what's going on. He's that good a fisherman. So it, you might imagine that you get the same answer every time. Thought him on anything pink. Yeah. And yeah. And that's exactly what I get. Anything pink. Just that's what you need to use, Corey. Just anything pink. I'm like, all right, shut up. Sorry. That's how you gonna treat me. That's okay. You've made a trout fisherman out of me. I love it now. Yeah. I've got a lot more easy access to it now than I did then. Yeah, but before you even moved down here, it was the two of you had picked up on it quite a bit and y'all liked it a lot, I think. So. Oh, yeah. So it's fun. Bass fishing translates. Yes. I it mean, does. I tell folks this all the time. There's not but so many different ways a predatory fish can eat a smaller fish. That's and right. that's really all we're doing here. That's all you're doing. If you understand the seasonal movements and life cycle and patterns of a largemouth bass, you essentially understand a redfish. And if you understand the seasonal movements and patterns of an Alabama bass, you essentially understand trout fish. They function very similar. How about that? I'm a, yep, it definitely translates for sure. That's why we keep telling you, go learn it local because it'll translate somewhere else. True. Yep. If you want to get good, get good at something close. Yeah, get good at something close. And all of a sudden, you'll be able to go somewhere else and it'll translate yep. for you because you'll start thinking like a fish, which is what it's all about. Right, and not like a fisherman. That's what I tell folks all the time. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Man, it's been great. Great to get Nick. Nick has been on the list since we started this, yeah. so it's good to finally get him on here. Well, thanks, guys. It only took us two and a half years. So. <laughs> Nick's one of my favorite people on the planet, so I'm glad well, he could be on the podcast. Same to you guys, too. I really appreciate y'all. Well, we'll do it again next month. Thank y'all for listening. Appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening to the North Carolina Wildlife Resources Commission's podcast, Better Fishing with Two Ball Biologists. For more information, please visit ncwildlife.org or email us at twoballedbiologist at ncwildlife.org.